Let us pray together the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A lesson from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 33, verses 11 through 23. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of this earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And the Lord responded, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim you before you the name of the Lord in your presence. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Rob. I want to invite the children, if they would come forward for a moment or two with the strange guy standing up in front of you. But we have protection, so we're okay. Come on up. And if you're watching on live stream or on Facebook, then just ooch in a little bit so that we can be together. I feel like we're in a monastery with all the robed ones here. We should do chants or something. Come in, come in, come in. Oh, 
I think some of you sit way in the back on purpose just to take a long time to come up, right? Just so I can see you process. We like to see you. Did you know that this is the favorite part of the service for a lot of the people sitting out there? They do. They love, they love what you guys are going to do. They don't, you know, adults, yeah, okay, we'll sit through it. But you guys, you are something they look forward to seeing all the time because you represent something special to them. And you'd be surprised what you represent. I want to I wanna ask you a question and then tell you a quick story. The, the question is, what does God look like? Mm, we don't know. Let me tell you a story, a story about a little girl. You may have heard the story before. I don't know. A little girl, her name is Annie, I was told. Her name was Annie. She was in a classroom. And the teacher said one day, we're going to draw today. I want you to draw whatever you want to draw. Just draw. And so everybody's drawing. And Annie's drawing. And she's making big circles and sweeps and colors and all this other kind of stuff. And the teacher's just amazed at how into it Annie is. So she comes up to Annie and says, Annie, what are you drawing? She goes, I'm drawing God. And the teacher goes, but Annie, nobody knows what God looks like. And Annie says, they will when I'm done. <laughs> see, Annie knew something special, that we see God through other people, through the people who surround us. Did you know that God looks like Pastor Carol? Did you see all the side eyes you got at that moment? They all went, no. <laughs> God looks like parents and grandparents, but God looks like you. In the way you talk to one another, in the way you play, in the way you laugh, in the way you love, God looks like us. Remember way back at the beginning of the Bible, God says, I'm creating you in my image. And it doesn't mean you'll look like God, but it means that you represent God in all that you do. When you all stood and sang, you represented God. You represented God's love of beauty and wonder and glory. When you help somebody, when you touch somebody, when you hug somebody, you represent God. So I want you to go from here today and know that God looks like you when you do what God calls us to do. Can we pray together? Gracious, loving God, we thank you that you have chosen to use us as your sign of presence in the world. So help us show you to any and to all when we can. In your name we pray. Amen. Three, four, if you're three, four, or five, you can go to Children's Church through that door to a mysterious place. I don't know where you go. You just go. They'll lead you. If you're older than that, you can go back and sit with your friends and your family. If you're younger than that, you can sit here with me. No, I don't want to do that. You said, no, no, that's okay. Grandpa's here. Children's church is a traumatic experience, apparently. I am just so honored to have this space and this moment, this opportunity to speak to you. Honored to be given scope 
to share the word in, in this space. We, when we came to Nashville from Indiana, where I served for many years, we spent some time looking for a church to belong to, and it was a hard journey. But we settled on West End, United Methodist Church, because it's a beautiful place, in part. Because there's amazing music. All you people sitting in the dark back here, I'm glad you're still there. That's why you turn off the lights so you could sneak out if you wanted to. I mean, I could for a congregation that is alive and at work and vibrant in the faith, we are so honored to be here. And, of course, your pastors, all of them are amazing. And, Carol, I've come to call a colleague and a friend in the time that we've been together here. So I was flattered and honored when she said, you can have this space for today. Then go back and sit out there. This is only right but I also found that I am here not just because we like the place, but because it is somehow in my DNA, which surprised even us to discover that. In 1808, a baby was born, and he was the grandchild of two Baptist preachers, but somehow he saw the light and became a Methodist. At 16 years old, he was given a license to preach, and he began preaching around. He was born in Kentucky, moved to Tennessee, and he just covered the area preaching, served various churches at various times, but also was a traveling preacher, couldn't be contained. He was appointed twice to McKendree downtown, served there, and then 10 years later, he was appointed again. It's almost as if the conference was trying to nail him down. but he loved to preach and he loved to be around. He would travel around and do revivals and special services and preach. He just loved to share that word. His name was Fountain Elliot Pitts because, of course, it was. Fountain. And then in 1873, he was appointed as the first pastor when West End stopped being a mission outpost from McKendree and became its own congregation, Fountain Pits was appointed as the pastor here. But he only served one year because in 1874 he went to Louisville for the General Conference and preached at some churches out there and contracted pneumonia and died. If that doesn't say something about General Conference, I don't know what it does, but... They actually had a funeral for him in Louisville and then put him on a train and brought him back to Nashville. Had another funeral for him where pastors and leaders and church people gathered together to raise his name and celebrate the gospel that he shared. There was another part of the story we discovered, however. During the Civil War, Fountain decided to join up with one of the Tennessee regiments as their chaplain and served as a chaplain for a time and then decided that wasn't enough and he started his own regiment his own Tennessee regiment which may have just been his kids he had 11 kids but he was so ardent about the cause in the Civil War fighting for the Confederacy to protect their way of life he argued that he was, he was promoted to the rank of colonel not just because he had a great chicken recipe 
But because he was ardent in his desire to protect an institution we now see as a black mark on our nation as a whole, we also managed to scour some slave burial records in some of the cemeteries here in Nashville and found one, a 65-year-old slave owned by Reverend F.E. Pitts. Fountain, as I said, had 11 children. One of his children that survived into adulthood, Sarah Banks Pitts, married a man named Reese. And they had a daughter named Juliet. And Juliet married a man named Henry George Weber. And they had a child named Reese Combs Weber, who had a child named Henry George Weber, who was my father. My three times great-grandfather was the first appointed pastor to the new congregation of West Inn. But how much of the story do we want to tell? How much of who he was, who we were, who the nation was, do we want to reveal to the world? Can't we just pretty it up? Can't we just focus on the bits that we prefer? Can't we just tell them like Moses? You know, Moses, you heard a little of his story last week. I have to confess, Carol prettied it up a little bit for you. Oh, she told you the truth that, that he was raised in Pharaoh's house, but he was of the Hebrew people and he was nurtured by his own mother who pretended she was just a wet nurse for him, but was in fact his mother and, that, but was raised in the, in the house of Pharaoh. But then at this time, because the Hebrew people were growing to be too large, the Pharaoh began to be nervous. And so they enslaved all of those people and set them to a harsh task of building their city. And Moses stumbled across a, an overseer beating a couple of Hebrew slaves and something rose up in Moses and he had to respond to that. And so he attacked and killed the overseer. She told you that part of the story. But she didn't tell you. I don't remember. Maybe I dozed off. But what she didn't tell you was as soon as that was over, he turned to the Hebrew slaves who he saved, who looked at him and said, are you going to kill us too? That's why he ran. He no longer had a place. He was hated on both sides. He was afraid. He was attacked. He wasn't sure where he belonged, so he ran and hid away until he tripped over God in the wilderness. And you heard that story, and he did what God called him to do, and he, he got the people out. And he got the people out, and he started this journey that brought them. Well, that was part of the problem. He didn't know where he was going. I know, I know, he was a man. Didn't want to stop and ask directions. But he was stumbling around. Now, now, I had Rob read the, the verse 11, which technically isn't part of the story, but, but I had it read so you could hear it say that God and Moses talked as if they were friends. You know how you talk to your friends. You disagree almost as much as you agree. 
You argue about stuff. You complain about stuff. They're, they're the friends. So they complain. And here's Moses complaining again. Feeling like he's got the short end of the stick on this journey thing. He says, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where we're going. I don't know who we are. I don't know who you are. I don't know what this is all about. I not, I've not been given enough information. My GPS isn't working so well. God says, oh, calm down, Moses. You hear that bit? He says, I'll give you rest. He says, Moses, do you need a nap? Just calm down. He says, I'll be with you. And Moses goes, well, duh, you'll be with me. I wouldn't be here if you weren't with me. We all know you're with me. That's, that's all we've got. We've got with you. I'm, I don't have any idea. All I've got is this vague sense of call and this idea that you somehow like me. God says, okay, you're right. I'll help you out. I'll give you what you want. Moses is stunned, I think, by that. I'll give you what you want. And Moses whispers, show me your glory. Show me your glory. What, what, what is he asking for in that moment? What does he want to see? A light show? Special effects? Do the parting of the sea thing. That was really cool. Show me something. Show me your power. Show me the wonder. Show me the lights and the, and the big name and all that kind of stuff. I want to see everything. I want to see that you are who I think you are. Show me your glory. God says, here's what I'll do. I'll let my goodness pass by. Wait, Moses asks for glory, he gets goodness. Is that a step down? What are, what are we missing here? And then later on, God says, well, uh, here's what you're going to do. You're going to stand on this rock, and then I'm going to put you in a cleft, a cleft of the rock. You're going to hide yourself in this cleft of the rock, and I'm going to put my hand over you. Because you can't see too much. And I wonder about that statement. Is it really because God is just too much for us? Or because that's how God chooses to work with us? I want you to come and meet me more than halfway. I want you to be guided by something but to make the decision on your own, not because you've been blown away by the power of God, but because you feel this draw to move into a new way of being, a new way of living called the goodness of God. Goodness of God, what is that? The goodness of God, it talks about in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the goodness of God. How do we, un how do we understand the goodness of God? It's kind of confusing, to be honest with you. One, one thing I've learned from attending here and listening to Carol preach is that often she says, there's so much in this passage, I can't go through all of it. I love that. That's a great out, because it sounds better than, I don't have a clue what's going on in here. <laughs> what is the goodness of God? What Moses was asking for was some tangible connection what he wanted was an experience of, of God face to face. In short, 
Thousands of years before his time, Moses was asking for Jesus. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Put on flesh, he says, and walk around us. Show us how to live. Show us what it means to be a part of this family that you have called us into. Show us how we engage one another, how we connect with one another. Show us. I want to see this. I want to see it lived out in front of me. What he's really talking about when God says, I'll let my goodness pass you by is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that's what we have. We don't even have Jesus in the flesh anymore. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is another one of those things that we pretend like we know, but we don't really know what that is. We're going to sing a song in a little bit, the doxology. I love the doxology. I love how theological it is. We sing all of our hallelujahs, and then we talk about God, right? Praise God, the source of all our gifts. Of course, of course, that's everything comes from God. Praise Jesus Christ, whose power uplifts. Of course, we know that we are lifted up by the power of Jesus Christ. Praise the Spirit who that... Holy Spirit, hallelujah, you know, we don't even know what to call it. We don't know how to express it, except that there's something that draws us out, something that works within. Now, I know you all are reading through the whole Bible, so you've already read chapter 34, which is what happens right after chapter 33. It's funny that way. Chapter 34 has Moses coming out of the cleft of the rock, getting back to work. So somehow this, this hidden partial glimpse of God was enough. And God says, okay, I'll make another 10 commandments, which you broke. And then he does a whole nother set of commandments, which are not the same as the 10 commandments. They're a little different. It's 10 commandments two. This time it's ritual. It's about how we live together in community and how we worship together. And then he sends him back to the people. When he gets back to the people, he's still got God bits stuck to him. He spent too much time in the presence of God. And everybody goes, oh, Moses, turn it down. And they made him put on a veil to cover up the God bits. You know, like spinach in your teeth. I don't want to see that, Moses. I don't want to see that you've been in the presence of God. That's what happens sometimes when we've been in the presence of God and we've been transformed. The people around us go, that's too much. (laughs) I'm not sure I can take that experience, that expression, that, that knowledge, that transformative power. I'm not sure I can take that love and acceptance and grace that you're offering me. I'm not sure. I don't know what it, what it is. And you say, We say, I've got something to show you. I I want to show you God. And you know, we all have Annie's teacher around us all of the time, sometimes even within us. Annie's teacher says, nobody knows what God is like. Nobody knows what God looks like. But praise be to God, sometimes we have within us a little bit of Annie too. And we can say, they will when I'm done. They will know when I'm done. When the goodness of God has filled me so much 
that I treat my neighbors differently, then they will know what God is like. When the goodness of God has filled me so much that I can't stand to live in a place of injustice and brokenness where people are oppressed simply by the color of their skin, then they will know what God looks like. When people are hated by because of whom they love and how they love, and we stand with them and say, God has included you. God has invited you. God in, in, involves you in this whole thing we call the kingdom of God being born among us. When we are done doing that, then they will know what God looks like. Now you're sitting there saying, I, I can't do all of that. I can't do all of these things that need to happen. But you already are. You already are involved in those things. Simply by being a part of this community, in this family, you already have begun to do some of the things that are bringing the kingdom of God a little bit closer. Because of, because of the witness that you give in who you are. And more than that, you have experienced the goodness of God. When you sat there earlier on and the children sang, and a part of you said, aren't they cute, those children singing, but another part of you said, this must be what it's like to be in the presence of God and hear the angels sing. It's because the goodness of God passed by. When you've come to the end of your rope and your relationships and, and, and you're struggling day by day to, to maintain, to hold on by the skin of your teeth and then something comes along that makes you remember, oh, there was a reason why I entered into this covenant. And you take a breath and you decide to give it one more shot. It's because the goodness of God passed by. And you tasted it. Yeah, God puts God's hand over us while we hide in the cleft of the rock. A lot of us want to hide in the cleft. We want to stay in the cleft of the rock. That's where we'd prefer to live, frankly. It's great to say the stuff we say in this place, but every now and then, Carol pronounces a benediction, we have to go out and talk to real people and somehow maintain our hold on this goodness that we tasted while we were here. So that the kingdom of God begins to build and is spread and it grows like yeast, like mustard plants, like pearls of great price. We are a part of that process. That's our call. That's our invitation. It was enough for Moses. Taste of God's presence. And he went out and said, we're going to live by this law of description and love that shows us how we're going to be together. Because they don't right now know what God looks like. But when we're done, then they will. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.